It is Thanksgiving season, and uh, we need to be thankful today. In fact, I'd like to start the service off today by just being family here. And let's just say, what are we thankful for? What are you thankful for today? Just shout it out. What are you thankful for? Amen. Thankful for health. What's that? Thankful to God. Amen. What are you thankful for? For your family. Amen. Thankful for our families. Never gives up on us. Anyone else have something to be thankful for? Your wife? It's a blessing, isn't it? I thank her for my, for my wife, too. She's put up with an awful lot. Great-grandson. Amen. I'm thankful for great-grandkids and grandchildren. Amen. Thankful for health. Amen. Thankful for a good church. Process of salvation redemption. Amen. Sanctification. It's an ongoing thing, isn't it? Amen. Who are you pointing to, Lois? Thankful for my friends. Amen. You have good friends. There's so much to be thankful for. And then thankful in this Thanksgiving season, we've all heard many sermons in the past about being thankful, and, and that's all good. We are a blessed people. We live in a great country. We live in a, in a free society. And compared to the rest of the world, the people in the United States are very blessed. And, um, you know, most of us here have a home to lay in. Uh, by the way, Children's Church can't be dismissed. I'm, and they're thankful for Children's Church. <laughs> and Angie and for those workers that volunteer in Children's Church. But most of us here are not too much or too badly persecuted unless we inflict it upon ourselves. We're pretty much free to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And we need to be thankful for that. There's blessing in that. There's also lots of responsibility in that. But let's look at the blessing in that. And when things are going well, it's easy to be thankful, or at least not regretful. But I wonder sometimes if we really, 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 really understand what it means to be thankful. Do we really, really, really mean it? Uh, I know sometimes it's easy to say the words, uh, but I have to question myself sometimes. Am I really, really thankful? You know, especially living up in northern Michigan, we may think we have it pretty tough up here, but we get some snow when we get a little blustery days and some cloudy days. But think of the tsunamis, tsunamis of the world, the earthquakes of the world, the tornadoes of the world, the floods that we haven't experienced. The rest of the world has been ravaged by, or ravaged by some of these things, and, and we've been pretty, pretty um, protected up here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 and 18, through 18 says, Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. But what happens, though, when bad things occur to us? Are there situations in life that are so bad that we just can't be thankful in them? 
Can life get so bad that we have the right to complain? See, according to the word, we're to be thankful in everything and for everything. And I thought initially that there were a difference between the words in and for. But as I read the word more closely, those two words really are interchangeable. For we are instructed to be thankful in what God is doing for us and through us. As we go through the problems of life that we're all exposed to, we're to be thankful in all things, all circumstances, all problems, all situations for the result that God is bringing in our life. As we're Christian people, and as we are fully serving God and fully chasing after Him with our, our whole heart, then all things work out for our benefit as we are serving God. See, God sees the bigger picture of our life. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows what needs to happen in my life to allow the end result that He is intending as I live a Christian life. And and. You have to understand that God only wants the best for you. He, Jesus loves you so much that he died for all of us. He died for you that you can believe in that he desires only the best for you. He doesn't desire for you to live in pain or confusion or strife or stress or any other type of ungodly emotion. Rather, he wants you to experience the joy, the peace, the rest, the mercy, and the grace, and the love of the Lord. That's what he wants. Jeremiah 29, verse 11 it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and the future. And he says in Romans 8.28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So if that's what God wants, how do we get it? If that's what God wants then how do we get it? Let's go to the Word. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 20 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This passage speaks of making the most of every opportunity. In other words, time is a gift that God has given us and as time slips by, it's never redeemable. And if we allow it to be stolen from us because of our lack of discipline or our lack of attention to godly things, then we will have the consequences to bear for it. Paul is saying to, be, is saying to us to be wise and careful how we live so that everything happens to us as an opportunity to understand and see what the Lord's will is. We're to be careful. We're to guard our life. We're to be careful of our, of our choices and our decisions that we make. 
Understand that God's will doesn't come through the use of sin in our lives. According to verse 17 and 18, it says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery or any other type of evil living. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So if we want God to bless us, if we want to live in the will of God, which I believe we all want to, then be filled with the Spirit. And don't be filled with the world. Don't be filled with fleshly desires. See, God's will is always that we keep ourselves pure from sin and evil in this world. And, and, and quite honestly, that's a whole sermon on its own, and I'm not going to get into that right now, other than this, to say this, God never uses sin in his plan for our lives. Satan brings sin for our destruction. Satan wants to destroy us. We've been talking about the, the strategies of Satan for the past number of weeks. And sin comes into our life from a Satan perspective as a way to destroy. God doesn't use sin in his will. God uses discipline, chastening. He uses other things in his will for us. Satan brings sin to destroy. God is not bound by that, however. We are forgiven as we ask to be forgiven and as we're truly repentant, then God can use what Satan meant to destroy for our benefit. And let's let God do that. The major difference between difficulties that come our way that are part of God's will in our lives and that of the sinful way in our life that is meant to destroy us is the consequences therein. <laughs> Larry, did you pull that picture up off the web? Uh, Dick mentioned it in the Sunday school class today, and I, he just said it in passing, but it is so true. The rules that we live by, the rules that God says, the don'ts. Remember, kids, what did we say when we said God says don't? What is he saying? Don't hurt yourself. Okay? The don'ts in God's word are not to help stop us from having fun. The don'ts are don't hurt yourself. And Dick mentioned it today that... There are guardrails on the road that are meant to keep us on the road. But just because the guardrails are there, you still don't want to hit the guardrails. Right? The, guard, the guardrails are there to protect us from going off the road and going down a cliff or hitting trees or whatever it's there to protect you. But just because they're there doesn't mean you want to hit them. No different than the rules of life. God puts the rules in life, says don't do things. He's saying don't get so close to the world that you hit my guardrails. In other words, stay in the middle of the road. Stay in where you don't hit the guardrail. This guy was texting. <laughs> That's what it said. The guardrail did the job. But look at the consequences that he has to deal with. See, now, if, if he wouldn't have been living close to the guardrail and texting and doing things he shouldn't have been doing, he would have been way down the road, a beautiful sunny day. Look at not a cloud in the sky. There's no reason for him to be by the guardrail, other than the fact he wasn't paying attention. 
And fortunately, no one was killed there. But look at the consequences that that person has to bear. He has to get that car fixed or get it totaled. <laughs> I don't think he's going to fix that car. <laughs> he ain't going to fix that car. They've got to get a torch and cut it free. That's all they can do. But I just think, though, sometimes we don't appreciate the fact that God does put guardrails up, but yet that doesn't mean we're supposed to get close to them. Stay in the middle of the road. Pay attention to where you're driving. Don't get distracted by all the things of life that want to distract you to make you get too close to the guardrail and use it. Now, thank goodness the guardrail was there. Now, I don't see any big ditch there, but if that would have been on a mountain, that guy would have been very happy that guardrail was there because it would have saved him from going over the mountain cliff. And that's the thing about Christian life, too, is that, yes, if I'm geared, if, I am taking a, if I'm heading a wrong direction and something or somebody, that's why the Word says that we are to watch out for our brothers and sisters that are in the church. That's why we're supposed to go. If we find someone that's sinning, we're to gently go to them and restore them. We're not to hit them. We're to restore them gently. And thank goodness that that person probably will be thanking you for that at some point in time in their life because you probably will have averted them from going off a cliff. Just like that guardrail might have saved that person from going off a cliff at some point in time. And so when that is done in a godly, in a, in a godly way, in a loving way, then we're protecting ourselves and protecting each other. See, in our society, people don't look at life that way. They look at life a whole lot different. When problems come in our society, they don't forgive. And even though... God in our Christian world, in our Christian society, forgives. The natural consequences of life remain. And so for us today, what we're trying to say, what I'm trying to say is this. God forgives. Consequences are there. But for those that haven't made the major choices, just don't, don't make them. Just be careful. Just be careful. Pay attention. Keep your eyes on the road. Keep your eyes in the Word. And then we don't have to worry about running into the guardrail that's there to protect us. We can just move on and we can continue down our drive and continue down our life. Paul says that we are to be filled with the Spirit. In other words, let the Holy Spirit fill us as we seek to, as we seek to see God's will in the problems that we're facing. Let the Holy Spirit guide us through the problems rather than hide us from the problems. We're not to stick our head in the sand and, and ignore life. That's not going to make the problem go away. And that's not the Holy Spirit's responsibility. The Holy Spirit is sent to be our paraclete or our counselor or our guide through the problems in life. And he's not here to, to hide us from the problems in life. There's a difference between hiding and guiding. Matthew Henry's commentary says, People are very apt to complain of bad times. It were well if that stirred them more to redeem time. Be not unwise. Ignorance of our duty and ne neglect of our souls show the greatest folly. All God's people have reason to sing for joy. Though we are not always singing, we should be always giving thanks. We should never want 
disposition for this duty as we never want matter for it through the whole course of our lives, always, even in trials and afflictions, and for all things, being satisfied of their loving intent and good tendency. In other words, what, what Matthew Henry is saying in this commentary is that we're to be satisfied through the problems of life as God is working out his loving intent in our hearts and lives. And we know that God loves us and that God only wants what's best for us. And now our, our job is to trust him and to stay as close to him as we possibly can and trust him. The term give thanks is used over 40 times in regards to giving thanks to God in the New Testament. And as I looked at, or actually in the whole Bible, as I looked at some of these scriptures, it is very apparent that we really are to give thanks in all circumstances and situations. And the book of Psalms is full of passages that gives thanks to God. Psalm 100, verses 1 through 5 says, Shout for joy to the Lord. All the earth worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And in Psalms 118, it says, The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. See, the, the Bible is very clear to us that the Lord uses life's situations and God uses his discipline to chasten us and when he does we're to be thankful for that that's why sometimes bad things happen to us maybe we need to get our attention maybe God needs to wake us up a little bit and he does chasten us and he does discipline us it says the Lord has chastened me severely the psalm writer says but he has not given me over to death, and I will enter and give thanks to the Lord under the gates of righteousness. As a parent, you chasten your children, don't you? Haven't you? Yeah. And do you love your children? Yeah. How much more does God love your children? How much more does God love you? So therefore, should we not expect to be disciplined? Should we not expect to be chastened? Psalms 94.12 says, Blessed is the man you discipline, O Lord, the man you teach from your law. Blessed is the man you discipline, O Lord, the man you teach from your law. See, as we endure the process, and Sharon mentioned it, that we, she's thankful for the process of sanctification. Sanctification is the process of working out our salvation. Yes, we're saved the moment that we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sin and we're going to heaven. But there's a process of sanctifying our lives, the setting apart of our lives, the living above reproach that we talked about in Sunday school. Um, not for our glory, but for God's glory. There's a process in that. And we're to be thankful for, to God for that because in that, God is working out all the sin, working out all the things that would separate us from God's love, working out all the things that, at, that would prevent God from saying, well done, thou good and faithful. Because we're all going to come to that day when God is going to judge us righteously. And I want to be judged righteously. And, and when I do that, I want to have, make sure that God has cleaned me out. I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to that day of judgment and not have God clean me out so that I would, so that I would hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful. 
And that might mean that I may have to go through some hard things in life. Here, I may need to go through some things that God is going to chasten me with. And I don't want to tell him to stop that because it makes me feel good for the temporary when I know that the eternal is going to be for my benefit when he works it out for me. Does that make sense? Can you agree with that? Can you see that in your life? Then can you say, blessed is the man you discipline, O Lord, the man you teach from your law. When God brings discipline to you, can you say, thank you, Jesus, for that? Because he's doing it, because he's bringing you an eternal reward. Revelations 3, 19 through 20 says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Colossians talks a little bit more about rules for holy living, and these are some of those rules that that are set up as the um, the guardrails in life that we don't want to get too close to. We don't want to hit the guardrails because the consequences will come that you'll have to fix your car, and, and you may be safe, but you have to fix your car. I don't want to fix my car. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now skip down to verses 5 through 10. It says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And then verses 15 through 17 says in the same chapter, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful... Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I want to go back and look at this passage. There's a lot of meat here. But go back to um, verse 1. A lot of good instruction here on how to be thankful in the circumstances that we may find ourselves in, even though we may not want to be in them. Verse 1 says, since, since, when he says since, obviously there was something previous that might not have been so good. Since then, since you are in a tough situation, since whatever's happening in your life, since then you have been raised with Christ Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. You see what it says? It says, set your hearts on heaven and set your minds on heaven. Two different things. Two different times in, in those two scriptures. It says, set, you, set your hearts on, on heaven. We're instructed to set both of our hearts and our minds. Our, our, our heart is our emotions. It's our feelings. It's our feelings. It's our desires. 
It's our emotional being. Set that on heavenly things. In other words, don't get so geared in this life that we want our emotions to get so wrapped up on the worldly things, the things that are temporary, but put our, put our desires, our emotions, the things that we long for, set them on heavenly things, long-term things. And then he says in the second verse, set your minds on things above. What does our mind represent? Our mind is our intellect. It's our will. It's our knowledge. It's our thoughts. It's where we spend our free time. It's what we, it's what we daydream about. Set your mind and your heart, the two things that control who you are. Your emotions, is, your heart is your, your, the seat, the emotional seat of who you are. It's your feelings. And the mind is your will. Set them both on heavenly things because, you know, some days I may not feel like being a Christian. And there are some days I may not think like a Christian, but I'm instructed to set both of those on heavenly things. And again, when, when we're instructed to do things, understand that God instructs us for our benefit, never to hurt us, never to keep us from the good things of life. That's the devil bringing lies, and that's him bringing his deception to us. When we are thinking that God's purposes are to hurt, or God's purposes are to make us boring, or to God's purposes are to take away the good things in life, that's not true. Doug said it in Sunday school, the way of the transgressor is hard. But those that are truly living for Christ, that's the easy life. That's the good life. When we can really live for Jesus, that's the good life. Young people don't get caught up into thinking that the cool kids have it all put together. The ones that are living for themselves, they don't have it put together. They want to be like you. They really do. The cool kids, the ones that are, are, are living, for, living for themselves, when they see a godly girl or a godly boy living for righteous standards, in all honesty, the reason they ridicule you, the reason they laugh at you is because they want to be like you. And that is so important that you realize that, that, that it's, not any way, it's nothing that you should shy away from. So as you're walking the schools of, of Inland, Inland Lakes or Charlevoix or whatever you go to school, walk with Christian pride, not humanity pride, but, but, but walk boldly before Christ as a Christian young person. Verse 5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Put to death earthly nature. Now, what is that? What is our earthly nature? What do you think earthly nature is? Is it talking about the planet? No. God created the planet and he made it perfect. God is very happy with the planet. God is very happy with earth. Earthly nature here is not talking about the, not the environment. The earthly nature he's talking about is our fleshly desires. Put to death anything that is a distraction to our heavenly mindedness. Anything that would distract you from driving straight down the road that would get you close to that guardrail, anything that would distract you from that, don't think on things like that. Don't go down the path of how, how close can I drive to that guardrail and still be on the road. 
How close can I get to it? Can I get my rearview mirror right close to it without touching it? Why would you want to do that? Don't get distracted by the things of the world. Put to death that. I mean, it's pretty strong when he says put to death. He doesn't say just put it away for another day because death is pretty final, isn't it? He says put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. You make the list that meets your earthly nature. It gives a list there, and those are all bad things. But yet, earthly nature can be a lot of things. A lot. Anything that distracts from your heavenly mindedness is earthly nature. Put all of that to death. It brings no lasting positive effects. Earthly nature only brings short-term successes but it will come with long-term pain and long-term strife and long-term contempt, long-term fights and quarrels. All of that is earthly nature. Put it to death. Going on to verse 15, it says, Instead, we are to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. There's that word thankful again. We're to be thankful for the godly things. We're to be thankful for the things that, that happen in our life that, that are even the difficult things. We're to be thankful and we're to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. The word rule here can mean the same thing as be the umpire. It can be the thing that calls the shots. Can can call it whether it's out or safe. It's the thing that helps us make the decisions in life that we let that we would let the peace of Christ help us make our decisions. Help us make the choices that we need to make. If you're not making a right choice, and if you're seeking God's purpose in it, you will not have peace in it. Let the peace of God help you umpire your life that you make good choices. That's what he's talking about here. And then be thankful. Be thankful for what? Thankful for every opportunity that God chooses to lead you to eternal life, providing you a righteous lifestyle along the way, one that leads to peaceful living on earth and a heavenly effective life, like our mission statement says, for all eternity. Then Paul goes on to instruct us to be teachable and accountable to one another. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. I think this is one of the hardest things that we're asked to do. To be taught by somebody else. How many people like to be taught by somebody else? It's hard to come under submission and come under godly authority. But understand what happens when you don't do that? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Our human nature is quick to rise up against authority. Who are you to tell me? What right do you have to tell me that? Who do you think you are? I've heard those come up in my life a lot, and you probably have too. 
Where does that come from? Is that heavenly wisdom? Or is that earthly wisdom? Remember, we talked about it, I think, last Sunday. We talked there's a difference between heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom, right? Where does heavenly wisdom come from? This is not a trick question. Where does heavenly wisdom come from? God. Thanks, Zach. Where does earthly wisdom come from? Not a trick question. Earth. <laughs> comes from Satan. And he's very wise. He has his own set of wisdom. He has his own set of rules. And his, his fallen nature is the foundation for earthly wisdom. So it's real. There is an earthly wisdom, and there's a heavenly wisdom, and there's a difference between the two, and we have to make sure that we judge and discern what is heavenly wisdom and what's earthly wisdom. And not every thought that comes into my mind is from heaven. Not every thought that comes into my mind is heavenly wisdom. Because the devil has the opportunity to plant things in my mind. He has opportunity to plant responses in my mind towards people. And if somebody comes to me with godly wisdom... And the devil says, don't listen to them. Who is he to tell you that? If the first time, the first secret, the first thing that you should judge is when you have that rise up within you, judge it. Judge it. Does that person have the right? Yes, maybe he does have the right. Maybe she does have the right to come to you because she's a godly woman or he's a godly man. And they've noticed something in your life that is a little bit questionable. And they come to you and they say, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. Receive it in love. Receive it with godly admonition. And receive it with a teachable spirit. The enemy doesn't want you to have a teachable spirit. The enemy wants to keep you set on yourself and only yourself because if he can keep you there, he will, he will destroy you. A teachable spirit is a godly spirit. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And finally then, we are to do everything as unto God the best we can do with thanksgiving in our heart, as verse 17 says. And whatever you do, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all through the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Father through him. Jackie, if you would come as we close, as we think about this Thanksgiving season and you start moving into the Christmas season, time is flying, isn't it? Let's take some time this morning just to reflect a little bit in our lives this morning and ask ourselves some questions. Where is my heart? Am I really thankful for the circumstances of my life? Am I really looking for the will of God in everything? Or am I looking for the ways around my problems so that I can avoid the lessons that God wants to teach me through them? That's a big question right there. That's something that I've dealt with for a lot myself. Am I looking for ways around the problem so that I can avoid the lessons 
that God wants to teach me. You know, I've struggled a lot the past five years or so with the things happening next door. I've had a lot of discipline in my life. I've had a lot of chastening in my life. I've had a lot of testing in my life, and I've had some consequences. See, not every test is a consequence. Not every consequence is a test. You understand the difference? When I make a willful choice and the problems come my way, that's not a test. That's a consequence. And there's a difference between tests and consequences. And we all have consequences in our life. We've all made mistakes. And for those mistakes, we need to get on our face and ask God to forgive us. We need to get on our face and ask God to forgive us. He will. But whether it's a test or a consequence, am I really looking for God's lessons in my life? See, if I am, if I'm looking for God's lessons in my life, then I'm a teachable man. And if I'm a teachable man, God's going to use me. And he's going to use me to do good things. But if I start to put up a hedge and say, God, you know what? I can handle this on my own. I'm not teachable. There's a spirit that rises up within me. This earthly, this earthly spirit, this earthly desire. And we were instructed earlier to do what with those earthly desires? Where were we, what were we supposed to do with them? Put them to what? Put them to death. Destroy our earthly nature. Become a teachable spirit. Become a humble, teachable person that hears the voice of God, that hears the word of God, that, that accepts it from other people as we admonish and teach each other. That's a godly thing. The most important thing we can do this Thanksgiving season is to open our heart to Christ and invite him to come in and invite him to be the umpire of our life. Invite him to let his peace rule in our life in all situations, in all circumstances for the things that God is doing for us. I'm thankful for all the things that God's doing in my life because he's working things out for my good. As I worship him, as I, as I do my best to line my life up according to his will, as I really pray every day and read God's word and I try to live by that, that doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect. That doesn't mean I, that you're going to be perfect, but it means we're going to have a King David heart that's going to be quick to repent. And then when I live that way and when I pursue God's righteousness, as Jane said earlier today, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You've got to say the whole verse. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you with a thankful heart. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. And Lord, I just thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, how you minister to us, Father. And I just pray that, that you would bring your convicting spirit into our lives where we need to be convicted. Lord, you don't condemn us. You don't condemn us unto death, but you will, you will convict us in, unto life. And so, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit's power would be released 
in our hearts and our lives to bring that convicting spirit, that pointing finger of conviction in our life where we would clean it up. And Lord, I know most of us in this building today are mature Christians and have been saved for quite a few years. But Lord, there's still areas in our life that you're trying to work on. There are still areas that you're trying to make us teachable on. So Lord, help us to be teachable. Help us not to be so wrapped up in our own self-righteousness so many times that we are not a teachable person. Forgive us of that, Jesus. Forgive us of that, Holy Spirit, so that we would be able to be thankful in all circumstances for everything that you're doing in us and through us. Now go with us this day, Father. Go with us, Lord. Help this to be a great Thanksgiving season for all of us. Help us to shine the light of Jesus in our hearts and our lives around us that all would see Jesus in us. I praise your name and I give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sing this song, Jackie, if you would, then we'll, then we'll pray and be dismissed. we give you thanks now in Jesus' name. We pray that you would go with us to our homes, guide us and protect us, Father. And Lord, help us to truly have a thankful heart this season. Help us to really understand what it is to thank you with all of our heart and to set our minds and our hearts on heavenly things for the long-term perspective of life. Help us, Father. We ask you in Jesus' name to go with us today. And we give you glory and praise for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.